Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hi, you're listening to Great Women in Compliance on the Compliance Podcast Network with Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine. I'm Lisa Fine, and today I'm speaking with Lauren Camilli, who is the Vice President, General Counsel, Corporate Secretary, and Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer at Bluemont. Bluemont is an international relief organization which supports infrastructure development and provides humanitarian aid globally. Significantly, Bluemont also has a global development program in Syria, Iraq, Jordan, Afghanistan, and Colombia that targets country and region-specific issues, some of which are women's rights. In Lauren's role, she is truly helping the world with making with, with her compliance program. Lauren, thank you so much for joining me today, um, and we really appreciate your time. Um, thank you, you so much for the invitation. Thanks. Can you talk a little bit about your background and how you got into this, this world of compliance? It's different than I think a lot of our, view, our, our listeners. Sure. After law school, I was always inter- interested in international law and compliance, and I went I had an in-house role at a company called Intelsat very early in my career, and they were a commercial satellite company, and I was very focused on international compliance. From there, I went into the defense industry, very large, multi-billion dollar companies with uh, you know, uh, 75 or 100,000 employees, and also into major Fortune 200 IT companies internationally, focusing my career uh, both in legal compliance and ethics roles. So I was in the for-profit world for a long time, going to uh, all all the conferences and really focused on the risks in corporate America that do business internationally. And I made the switch over to the nonprofit world about almost four years ago now, uh, to the nonprofit world, specifically in international aid. And uh, Blue Mountain is an amazing organization that really helps the world's most vulnerable populations around the world. And it was, it's definitely a change uh, from what I did before, but it's a mission-based organization that is really uh, coming to work every day is, is, a, is a real pleasure to know that I'm, I'm truly helping the world's most vulnerable population. Yeah. And from the for-profit world to, to now working in this organization, um, I would guess that your compliance challenges are fairly different. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know, those different challenges um, and how you grow definitely like that. Thank you. Yes. We work in some of the most difficult environments in the world. Uh, There are most for-profit companies won't even go to these countries to do business because of the inherent risks of doing business in these countries. So we are in Iraq, uh, in Afghanistan, Pakistan, in Mali, uh, in inside Syria, inside active war zones many times. And it is just a completely different environment than what I was used to in, you know, uh, in a lot of these other countries. So it, it really is uh, different for many reasons, not just from a security perspective, but also getting to my employees. Of my approximately 1,000 employees, about 900 of those are local nationals in these countries because part of our goal is to really hire and develop the, the skills of the local populations. So um, the corruption perception index in some of the countries where I do business are really the highest in the world. Also remote locations. I have people with, no, with limited internet access, maybe a few hours a day. Maybe they're in a location where they don't have any computer access and travel to a location once a month 
to do training uh, on, a, on a shared computer or laptop. There's various languages spoken that most training programs are not automatically translated in. So there's a lot of translation issues. And uh, just trying to do compliance in an active war zone, as you can imagine, the challenges there are very different from inside Syria or inside a refugee camp than they would be otherwise in a, in a corporate office environment. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so when you're you know, working through those, how do you grow the program? I mean, you have the training, you've talked about these challenges. You know, how, how do you develop your priorities and then mature that program as it goes forward? I think in this space, more than any other company I've been at, I've had to be really creative and think outside the box. It is not one size fits all. The years of training I had in, in corporate America prepared me somewhat, but, but not completely for the, the new challenges I'm facing now. So I have to think about from training to posters to hotline access, how am I going to get to my population? What do they care about? What are their limitations, uh, both tech, uh, from a technology perspective, from a language perspective, or just from an access perspective, to get to my hotline, to know who to call, to feel comfortable calling, to understand a training. I can't, uh, you know, I definitely, legalese and very complicated training are just not going to work and not be effective. So auditing and monitoring, I have to think about the unique challenges and cultural differences in some of these countries uh, when I'm when I'm going there physically, or when we're auditing or monitoring these programs, um, so everything I think is has to be uh, a little more creative when I'm looking at maturing my compliance of programs, and I focus so much on the effectiveness piece. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, it obviously, as everything you've talked about, it is such a big change from where you were before. But you know, what do you find prepared you? Um, in your background in defense, security, or corporate America, um, you know, what, what was what prepared you and then what surprised you? Sure. So I think uh, working in very large corporate environments in many different countries, I think it did prepare me. Some things are the same, right? We still have uh, FCPA risks and anti-corruption and bribery risks. I think dealing with multicultural environments really prepared me and the laws of different countries and really having to know the laws of different countries when you're implementing your compliance program locally. But at the same time, I had a huge paradigm shift in my thinking when I came to international development. And I really had no idea. uh, I, I guess I knew the work existed, but I didn't know these challenges and compliance and hadn't really thought about it from this angle. So I had to start thinking that security comes first. And even coming from defense with a, with a security background, this is a different, uh, uh, this is a very different dynamic here. Before I start an investigation, I have to think first, can anyone get hurt? Are they at risk for serious retaliation? Or maybe their family is at risk for serious retalii- retaliation. Are there local government officials involved? And, and can they apply pressure or in prison or, you know, her, uh, you know physically put my employees or beneficiaries in danger. And the fraud can be so pervasive in some of these countries that I had to really change my way of thinking to really limit, uh, limit the opportunity around fraud. So uh, we, have, we have a hotline and we have ways for people to, uh, to report and investigate, but I had to really switch my thinking and think much more about internal controls on the ground. 
What checkpoints could I put in? What auditing and monitoring on the ground? Uh, how create? How, how can I be creative with my policies and procedures to catch these very elaborate fraud schemes in the field offices? And you know, sometimes that's even uh, mo- rotating and moving employees within offices in different roles, so that if there is uh, a fraud situation happening in one department, um, ch- even changing roles throughout the department is a creative way sometimes for those issues to come to light. So I think it was a paradigm shift. It, it, I had to start thinking about security first and about different ways of attacking these very serious issues. I mean, one thing that really struck me both now when, when we've spoken is this idea when we think about retaliation in, in, a, in a corporate world, which is where I am, we think about people potentially losing their job, people potentially, you know, occasionally a bullying or, you know, in, in other countries, a mobbing type issue. When you talk about it, it's more of a, somebody's life may be threatened, their family may be, you know, scared, um, you know, and that is really just, I mean, I think it's a, like a fascinating and different way to think about it because the, the, it's a whole different definition of retaliation. Um, right. And a lot of our programs are really uh, pushing social change and they're not always popular in, in some of these countries, whether it be gender issues, whether it be other social change issues, and even the identity of some of our employees locally needs to be protected because they could be at risk for uh, local local fringe groups or others to be retaliated against. And there's also terrorist organizations in the areas where we are inside war zones, and, and everything needs to be thought about first and foremost of uh, is, is everyone I can't make it worse, right? It, it are my actions going to protect the individuals first and then, you know, get to the ultimate investigation. Right. Um, and do you find, do you find yourself having a, a lot of investigations? Um, you know, what, what is the larger part running the program? We, you know, what, what do you sort of find is the, the biggest part of what you're doing um, in the different countries? Sure. I think, I think training is constant and a big part of what I do, uh, both in person and online, very specific to the country, very specific to the program. Uh, and we have such a turnover in staff. We have uh, our programs are somewhat short lived and have yearly staff turnovers for many reasons. So continuous training and outreach is really a huge part of where I'm working, not just once a year with an online code of conduct uh, and access. I believe I spend a, a lot of time making sure posters are up and communications go out that so that everyone knows who to call. And I would say that we do have uh, our fair amount of complaints. It may not be more or less than other corporations, but uh, we are getting to the people and there, I, I would say, uh, procurement, integrity, uh, fraud in, uh, in various locations in hiring or just in you know, procurement fraud is, is pretty prevalent in my world. Yeah. And um, one of the other things is, is, is too, that in, I, I've never actually heard any compliance officers, male, female, anyone talk about the fact that they have, you know, an excess of money and opportunity in, in companies or corporate programs. You know, we're always talking about doing more with less. Um, for you guys, um, it's basically, you re- as a nonprofit and with what you're trying to do, you really do have no money. You've talked a little bit about creativity and different things. I mean, what other, you know, what other things either strike you or, you know, 
kind of have, have learned in your four years about that. Because when I talk to you and I think about resources, I suddenly had a very different perspective um, than I did an hour before that. <laughs> yes. And I do have to be creative with my resources as well. So while we do more with less, we're obviously a, a nonprofit and our money really is targeted to the beneficiaries. But compliance is a priority for our customers. Uh, our customers are donors, as we call them, our USAID and uh, the UK government's organization and DFID, the United Nations and World Bank. And so there, there, there is opportunities to, uh, to gain additional funding for certain training activities, which we always take advantage of from our clients. Uh, our clients also do trainings themselves, which we take advantage of, and they have programs in compliance in these countries. I also take advantage of trusted employees on the ground. I have to for so many reasons. Uh, this, I have done this at other companies where you have a local ethics or compliance officer who knows the environment, who knows the politics, who knows the cultural sensitivities, and they can be most effective at talking to people, at doing some local investigations at a certain level, and and really helping to change the culture in some of these environments. So uh, you're right, as a nonprofit, I have to do more with less. And I, I find focusing on local partners in this is a, is a real benefit for my program. Yeah. And I mean, I think especially with local partners, and generally some of your programs you know, are focusing on, you know, the, the, as you mentioned before, you know, individual rights, other things, and women's rights and gender, gender equality. Um, I mean, I know I've read some stuff where we've talked about like Yemen and Pakistan, and it's the treatment of women. How do you work on that as a compliance officer, you know, a woman in compliance and your program generally? Because you know, unlike you know, a lot of a lot of other compliance officers, at least that I've spoken, you know, this is you're actually advocating for rights um, as opposed to making sure you're just you're protecting them. So how how do you work that, work through that? Yes, and many of our programs have an actual gender component to them on women's rights. Yeah. Um, we could uh, build particular uh, skills of certain women organizations. We have tried training. Sometimes it's grants to women-owned organizations or women-owned businesses. We've provided legal assistance to, to, to women in different countries. Um, or, uh, again, a lot of our programs really are focused on, on changing those social dynamics in the country. And if they're not specifically focused on that, we are still focused on ensuring that uh, the females in our employee get equal treatment and hiring, uh, that they're not harassed or retaliated against, uh, or even there could be situations where there's sexual exploita- exploitation and abuse of either a beneficiary, a vulnerable population, or uh, or even a member of the staff. Uh, so we are constantly focused on it, whether, you know, either from the programming perspective or just knowing the challenges for some women in these countries and ensuring that uh, they are treated as equally as possible in, in our own practices. And it does impact everything we do in, in our programming, uh, in our policies, in our training. And it's such an important part of the work that we do locally. Uh, you mentioned Yemen and Pakistan too. It, there are, the, there's lists out there of, of sort of the worst countries in the world uh, for the treatment of women and Yemen and Pakistan are at the bottom of that list. And, um, you know, things I need to think about that I wouldn't normally think about. If I'm in Pakistan and you have any sort of allegation of, in, of an inter-office relationship, it comes up often, right, in a compliance world. But in Pakistan, a woman could get potentially stoned for infidelity. And I have to think about that when I'm doing something as 
somewhat simple as an interoffice relationship investigation. Uh, somewhere like Yemen, you know, I uh, had uh, it is. I think Yemen is actually listed as the worst country for women. And when we're doing our hiring and doing our programming, I always have to think of their safety first. I have to think about their own empowerment uh, locally and what I can do to enhance their rights as much as I can. So I think it would, women's rights impacts me every day. It's something that is important to the company and something that we're really making a difference in the world. And I think from that perspective, you know, my job in compliance has just been that much more uh, that, you know, just so much more gratifying for me personally to be able to make an impact on so many women's lives. And that, that is really, really amazing. Um, you know, do you find that there are challenges being an American woman who obviously can't be on, on the ground every day? And even if you were on the ground every day, you'd still be an American woman dealing with gender and cultural issues. Um, you know, I'm sure it's always rewarding to help, but you know, what have you kind of found as good strategies for that or potentially challenges and how to address it? Sure. And I think there are challenges to being a woman in this space. And, uh, you know, uh, occasionally, depending on the investigation, you know, I, I have had uh, a male investigator do a particular investigation. And sometimes it really is a female investigator, especially if it has to do with any sort of abuse um, that they feel comfortable culturally speaking up to. So I have to think about uh, giving women a safe space to speak up uh, and giving them um, assurances that there will be no retaliation. And for me, I, I think there are similar challenges internationally that I've experienced in the past uh, from being a, a, a female compliance leader, especially when you travel. Um, there, there, there are you know cultural sensitivities you have to be careful of, and and I think there are challenges in that space. And you know we deal with them every day. And um, I think just focusing on the, the rights of women and, and getting the investigation done is really the focus. And a couple other things. One, um, for you, um, you know, what, what would, you know, what tips or advice to, for somebody who's listening today and thinks, you know, I would really want to do this again to you know, make the world. I mean, I think it's amazing everything that you all are doing and I thank you as a for-profit compliance officer, but um, any tips or advice you'd want to give to, uh, our listeners and women who would want to, you know, move into um, the, this type of relief aid development type of world in compliance. Yeah, I mean, it is it is very challenging but very rewarding. So I would encourage anyone who wants to uh, have a change, <laughs> wants to change from corporate America, and wants to do something really rewarding for a mission based organization to look into the space. And uh, I think. You know, this space also really needs uh, and uh, dedicated compliance officers. There, there are a lot of them, but we always need more in this space. And I think if uh, someone just wants to help, they could also share best practices. Uh, they can invite you know, uh, international development compliance officers to networking groups, or if you're a if you're a vendor in this space, maybe offering deep discounts or even free memberships to compliance publications. You know, I've come up with sort of the nonprofit discounts, and I, I think you know even some hospitals can be nonprofits. I think the international development space is really very different in its challenges and its mission. And I think as a particular nonprofit, it would really benefit from getting you know really deep discounts on some of these compliance 
products and trainings and resources and best practices because it truly saves the world. And any help that you can give and every dollar saved from fraud or corruption goes directly into the hands of beneficiaries. And every fraud scheme, you know, from fake medications to substandard food products or substandard housing or, or tents, uh, you know, I've seen some really egregious issues in some of these countries and anything that we can do to help as a community uh, literally will will pay off benefits directly to the world's most vulnerable population. So I guess, you know, that's my pitch of uh, if you want to get involved from a, from a career perspective, it's highly rewarding and I definitely encourage it. If you uh, want to just get involved by sharing best practices with this community. Um, again, we, uh, I know we welcome that as well. Well, that was one of my, my questions for you was, you know, how, how can we in, in this community, you know, help you all? And I think you've just answered some of that as well. And I, I, I would strongly encourage any vendor who happens to be listening right now really to support organizations and in international development um, differently than you may think of supporting or helping out some of, some of the others for profit. Yeah. You know, my company is in education, so it's not, you know, the same as some of the others. We all have distinctions, but I think, you know, I think it's really, you know, what you all are doing is obviously so important and, and such a learning thing. I mean, to, you know, I think it helps all of us to, to, in our community to learn more about some of these real issues. Um, I don't know if there are any other things you would want to, to talk about or advice for women generally, um, or any other, you know, tips you'd want to give to the, to the listeners? Well, I, I, again, I think I would just uh, say that if there's any way, you know, uh, if there's any way, even as a vendor or just as a professional in your, in your own organizations, we're all in networking groups and, and we all have best practices to share, uh, you know, any way to share those with this community really, you know, it raises all boats. And uh, as a compliance community, I feel that we have, uh, uh, responsibility to do that uh, with each other and particularly in the nonprofit space. And I would just encourage anyone to reach out to me or, or reach out to anyone in this space and, and we can find a way to uh, uh, get those resources to the right people. Now, thank you. And I, you know, I, I think one of the other things I often think about in, mm-hmm. in compliance role, we sometimes feel kind of alone in what we're doing. I can imagine that, that in your role, sometimes it feels even more alone because even though there are a lot of people, it's, it's far fewer and, um, you know, anything that, you know, I think it's, it's really great. And I so appreciate your, your time. And hopefully, again, I will just make a pitch for people to reach out to Lauren or others and um, to learn more about these different countries. Um, it's actually been a great experience for me. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lisa. I appreciate it. And um, on behalf of Mary Shirley and I, this is Um, Great Women in Compliance on the Compliance Podcast Network. Thank you all so much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.